Midwest. That city where they spent two times. Say now I'm from the city in the Midwest, rubbing my state. My state. Say now I'm from the city in the Midwest, rubbing my state. That's Ohio. Say now I'm from the city in the Midwest, rubbing my state. That's Ohio. Yeah. I'm from the city where they spent two times. Dope white boy, tell him I don't do lines. So I stuck up in the back door. Rip flat hat low. Kick back lax flow. Give them what they ask for. They don't know who I am. I think it's okay. Just clap for the no name. Ole, ole. Shots to Patron, no way, Jose, Cincinnati boy, a bottle of Pete Rose. Gunner takes the snap, stands and fires, he's got Chris Moore down the middle of the field, he's off to the races again, they are not going to catch Chris Moore, who is going to go 78 yards for another Cincinnati touchdown. So Kilpatrick drives all the way to the basket, lefty shot, good! 4.3 seconds left in overtime. He takes the shotgun snap. Short drop. Looking. Fires down the middle of the field. Caught by Kelsey. He's running away to the 30, the 20, the 10. It's a miracle. A touchdown for the Bearcats. Cumberland swerving into the lane. Great spin move. Right hand layup oh is good. Spin cycle. Adds fabric softener later. On Gary Clark. Throws it back out to Troy Copain. 308 left. Evans for three. Got it from the left wing. What was that a big one? Tony Pike waits for the snap. Has the football. Short drop. Lobs one down the sideline for Bins. He's got it. Welcome back to episode 13 of the Go Beer Cats podcast. I'm your host, Brandon. I'm calling this episode Sour Peaches. A little later in the episode, I welcome in my good friend Brian Canodal. Uh, he's going to come onto the podcast here and give us a uh, more of an optimistic view of the basketball team uh, and so far uh, as to what's happened this season. Before we jump into that, though, uh, <clears throat> we've got to talk about the beer of the podcast here. Very appropriate and very uh, fitting for the title of the podcast and what happened on New Year's Day in uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. Beer of the podcast is Extra Galactic Origins Peaches uh, from Arshay Brewing. Arshay is out of Akron, Ohio, uh, and it's quickly become uh, a must-buy when you see at the beer store. Uh, I don't know if I've had a bad beer from them yet. This one is no exception. It is uh, a fruited sour beer. Uh, it's not tongue-buckling sour. Tart, yes, uh, and loaded with peaches, and uh, it is what was left over from my my peach only d beer day on New Year's Day. I had I think seven or eight beers, all of them uh, peach in some way, shape, or form. This is the only one I didn't get to that day. So one I'm gonna be sipping on throughout the podcast. Speaking of the Peach Bowl, the Bearcats did lose to the Georgia Bulldogs 24-21 in somewhat dramatic fashion. Uh, Great game. Uh, it was one of the most watched games of the bowl season. Uh, definitely the most watched game of the day on New Year's. I uh, tweeted some stuff out about that uh, this week. I kind of wanted to hold off on the podcast uh, and not give uh, or not come up with an episode directly after the game. I kind of wanted to uh, to wait a couple of days here. So this one's coming to you uh, a day later than, than normal. I wanted to see how many seniors or, or even underclassmen were going to declare for the uh, draft or decide to leave. And I wanted to see uh, which ones were going to take advantage of the opt-in year and uh, in return next year. Uh, we'll go uh, over all that in a minute as well. Thoughts on the Peach Bowl though. I was loving life uh, for about 56 and a half minutes. It was uh, the Bearcats led uh, pretty much that entire time, uh, you know, they, they did uh, go down by three in the first half after a, a made field goal. Uh, but they were never out of control of this, this football game until the fourth quarter. They dominated at times. They <clears throat> moved the ball at will at times. Defense was incredible at times, holding uh, the Bulldogs to 45 yards rushing. Uh, if you listen to the, the P 
Peach Bowl preview episode I did with uh, with the the guy that covers the Bulldogs. Uh, he kind of let you know he, that uh, that the Bulldogs were going to be a, a more pass oriented team. Uh, they were run heavy at the beginning of the year while they were working out their quarterback issues and kind of transitioned into a, a passing team as the, the season went. And we could definitely definitely saw that as they put up almost 400 yards through the air uh, and only 45 on the ground on the defense. You know, do they get almost 400 yards if you have uh, Wiggins and uh, Gardner there, two All-Americans in the game? You know, it's hard to say that. I don't think that they would, uh, but I'm not uh, I'm not one to think that uh, missing those players would have had that good of an impact because Georgia was missing plenty of players as well. Uh, so let's, let's some of the storylines that I have here throughout the game uh, that contributed to the loss. I mean, people were up in arms about the third and two call uh, late in the fourth quarter. I certainly understand that. I think you got to run the ball there. Uh, I think, you know, the pass had it been, it was a gamble. You know, it's high risk, high reward. Uh, it almost worked. Uh, and had it worked, the game would have been over. Uh, you know, you, just, you milk the clock for, for whatever time remained, and uh, and that would have been that. Not, it's not what happened, though. Uh, that call was questionable. Was it the main reason that I think the Bearcats lost the game? No. Uh, the blocked field goal, uh, that's, you know, two blocked field goals in back-to-back games uh, against the Bearcats special teams. That's, you know, when's the last time the Bearcats went – back-to-back games and got a field goal blocked. Uh, they had the one in Tulsa and then, of course, the one in the Peach Bowl. Uh, clock management was an issue, but I, th I think the clock management, I don't think they decided to milk the clock late in the game. You know, they snapped the ball way too early on the with the play clock not taken down nearly enough. And I think that was – I think, honestly, that was because of the jumpy offensive line. Uh, you know, you don't have James Hudson there anchoring the line. He got ejected for the targeting call, and the game was never really the same after that. You, uh, people were making a big deal about, uh, you know, this, this giant that we had as a, a backup for Hudson uh, on the line in Lorenz Mets. He's like, you know, 6'9", or I don't know, he's a giant, some subway shape or form, 6'9", 300 and some pounds. But he's jumpy, and he was jumpy all last season. And he, that did not go away since, since last year uh, when he came in and tried to fill in for James Hudson. Unfortunately, James Hudson has declared, so we will not see him in a Bearcats uniform again. Not a, not a way I want to see him go out. I, I was even like bragging on him like just like 10 minutes before he, he got ejected from the game. I was saying, you know, he never makes mistakes. He's never the one... Uh, jumping off sides uh, or uh, forgetting the snap count or or even like holding or, or doing anything that's like costing the offense momentum. And then the personal foul, which led to the ejection for targeting, and it wasn't the same. Uh, th to me, that was uh, – that, that was the game changer in the game and, and left a huge hole – on the offensive line. After that, Des Ritter was running for his life a whole lot. Uh, seemed like Georgia defense was two yards into the backfield before the play even started. And it's hard to uh, make your progressions and, and throw to defenders, uh, or throw to receivers, I should say, throw to receivers when you were being pressured like that a whole lot. So uh, that second half, it was not good. Aside from the 79-yard uh, touchdown uh, from Jerome Ford, who burnt everybody on, on the uh, Georgia defense uh, for that uh, long break off, other than that, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff, to, a whole lot of plays to get excited about. Uh, in the second half, UC had five possessions where they faced third and four or less. All right, so third down and four yards or less. Here is the result of those those five possessions: false start. Nine-yard run by Ritter, okay, so extended the drive there. Fumble, false start, incomplete pass. 
and that's sort of like a microcosm of, of the second half. False start, fumble, false start, incomplete pass. Uh, one extension of the drive with a nine-yard run by Ritter. So that's tough. One thing that I did like in the second half, uh, other than the uh, the 79-yard touchdown, was the uh, the James Smith fake punt. Uh, he I don't know he might have been one of the leading rushers in the second half. Uh, he picked up I don't know maybe five or six yards on, on the fake punt. Uh, completely caught everyone off guard. Uh, Love that. You, you got Pat uh, McAfee on Twitter, uh, you know, tw tweeting about it and, and uh, raving. Uh, Raven about it, so that that flex option for uh, for Smith maybe he uh, diversifies and, and moves out the tight end or something after that as well. Uh, that was that was a good play. He got the legs moving there to, to get the first down. Nobody saw it coming. Uh, I did like that. The one thing I, I, I want to say here is you know on Twitter I, I put out a uh, a poll on uh, whether you guys thought that uh, this game was the football equivalent of the Nevada meltdown uh, in the NCAA tournament uh, when the Bearcats were up by 22, somehow lost the game. Uh, majority of you said uh, no, it, no, it wasn't the equivalent or it wasn't as bad. Definitely have to disagree with you. I think, it, it, I don't think it was worse, but I definitely think it was, it's, it's close. It's, it's the equivalent uh, of the Nevada game, uh, you know, for, 56 and a half minutes, the Bearcats are, are winning. Uh, and then to lose it with four seconds left on a 53-yard field goal uh, to, and then the safety to, at, at, after that, you know, to push it to three points. So really you, you lose by one on a Hail Mary desperation field goal that's the longest in Peach Bowl history. It's the personal best for the Georgia kicker, and it's the Georgia kicker's first ever game-winning field goal. Uh, he, he kind of like your odds going into that uh, as he lines up to kick it, uh, but I think that thing would have been good for maybe 60 yards. It was right down the middle and had plenty of leg on it. Uh, and, and in my book, I, I will put this right up there with the Nevada loss after, uh, you know, dominating, being up big, and then at the end looking like we had no idea what we were doing. So that's that. Uh, enough about the Peach Bowl. we got to move on. Uh, I want to talk about some of the players here that, are, that have already declared that we won't see in a uniform again. Uh, so far, so this is uh, recording this uh, Tuesday night. Uh, we got James Wiggins has declared, Derek Forrest, uh, both of those are safeties, uh, Jared Dokes, James Hudson, Ethan Tucky, Elijah Ponder, and James Smith. So uh, four guys from the defense, uh, Dokes, Hudson, and Smith, uh, either offense or special teams. Uh, and the three guys that are returning so far, uh, Kobe Bryant and Darian Beavers, uh, Two huge uh, pieces to to the defense. Uh, I'm glad both of those guys are coming back. Uh, you know, Beavers up front and and, and Kobe uh, on the corner, and then Jordan Jones, the wide receiver, uh, he's coming back, which means that so far UC is not losing any of the wide receiver production from this year. Which uh, I mean, it was definitely a step up from last season. So you look for them to to be even better next year. You know, i uh super excited to see what what we can do uh, slinging the football around the field next year. So far, you know, the, the guys that have not declared yet, that, that would be uh, super important to keep your eye on. Uh, of course, uh, Jarrell White, uh, Majay Sanders, uh, Des Ritter even maybe. Uh, he, he, could, he could declare if he wanted to. Uh, and uh, Bruno LaBelle. Uh, he's uh, a, a big tight end. And then uh, a guy on the defense, again, uh, Joel DeBlanco. Uh, he's a, a linebacker. He was the one that, uh, that called the, uh, the fake punt at ECU. Uh, and definitely, uh, it seems like his name was called more and more uh, for doing the right thing as the season went on. So he was you know, definitely moving up and going in the right direction. So look, look out for, uh, for more 
announcements throughout the week, maybe since this podcast has been recorded, there's been another one. Uh, keep an eye on that. I'm trying to retweet all of them that I see uh, on Twitter as I see them. So look out for that. The only other really big question mark uh, after an almost nearly perfect season uh, isn't our head coach. At least I've not heard any rumblings of that at all. Uh, the only other question is our defensive coordinator, Marcus Freeman. He's been uh, confirmed to, to take an interview at uh, LSU and Notre Dame, uh, maybe Texas and some other you know, really big uh, programs with very deep pockets. Uh, he's taken interviews before and come back. You know, ultimately, I don't think a lot of people thinks, think that he's going to leave because he wants his next step. He wants to be a head coach somewhere. You know, bigger program gives him bigger exposure to, to get that. Uh, so I don't know. We'll, we'll see what comes about that, see if he takes any more interviews, uh, and see if he, he ultimately comes back like he has decided to, uh, you know, years previously. Some of his – I saw something that uh, – an interview that someone close to Freeman did uh, and said that he thinks he's coming back to UC. Uh, you know, he knows Fickle turned down $6 million to go to Michigan State, uh, and that sort of bodes well for, for keeping Freeman somehow this year. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully we hear something uh, sooner rather than later. Let's, uh, let's bring in my good friend uh, Brian Canodal here and, and talk a little bit of uh, Bearcats basketball. All right, Nodal. How's it going, sir? despite the uh, slow start. Very nice. So, like I said uh, in, in the intro, uh, Nodal or, or Brian, you'll probably hear me call them both uh, throughout this conversation, uh, which is probably going to be a little more of a uh, casual conversation. Uh, I've known uh, Nodal for a while now, fraternity brothers that you see. Uh, we, I mean, text on a daily basis, uh, either arguing with uh, one of our other friends in some way, shape, or form. Uh, so I thought I had to bring you on here to uh, to talk a little bit about UC basketball because, it, and I mean, definitely in my circle of friends, I don't know if anyone else knows more about the history of the program. Would you Would you agree with that? That you're the the, the authority on that? Uh, to a certain extent, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's why I went to Cincinnati. So. Yes, I've been following the program for quite some time. Yeah, for sure. So and uh, so, I, I don't know if we need to say this like sooner or later. Uh, and I don't, I, I can't help but feel this way. I feel as though uh, like you are one of the biggest Cleveland Brown fans that I know, and I, I can't help but feel that like influences your fandom for other sports teams. Do you think that that's correct? Uh, yeah, you know, definitely try to carry over the. Um, the Browns fan level of loyalty to uh to the other teams. Browns definitely kind of take the priority though, but right behind them has been Bearcat basketball for just about as long as I can remember. Yeah, okay, good. That's that I'm glad I'm glad that that you said that. That's that's what I thought here. All right, cool. So <clears throat> uh you'll probably be on the show definitely in the future, especially once uh we shift gears and talk a little bit about uh, beer and uh, some of the stories that we have associated with drinking and we get some uh, some of our other friends in here and can do this thing live uh, but for now we'll, we'll settle it just over the phone so like I said we talk all the time and we're usually talking about either sports or beer and uh, I, like you said you, you bring a, a special like <clears throat> point of view and, and the loyalty that you have towards the Browns uh, to other teams and uh, the UC basketball is definitely uh, it definitely shows when it comes to UC basketball. So tell me uh, your opinion and, and your outlook of the season so far on the uh, two and six start. Uh, two and six is definitely not where I expected us to be. Figured we'd have a few more wins at this point, obviously, but you know, I also realized that it was, going to be a pretty tough start. I mean, when you look at the schedule and you jump right into, you know, Tennessee and then the crosstown shootout in your first few games with a team that doesn't have much experience playing together, um, you know, figured it could be rough, 
been a little bit a little bit rougher than expected, but I'm still fairly optimistic about the year and then going forward, you know, undeterred right now in terms of Brandon's ability to get the job done. Yes, and that's so like <clears throat> I would say you're a little stronger on that than I am. Uh unlike some of our friends, I'm not calling for his head yet. Uh although, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic about going forward just not as much as you. Uh, I, I can say that uh, I watched the the Tulsa game uh, and was encouraged by what I saw. Uh, any, I mean, I thought they were trying. They were more aggressive rebounding. Uh, you know, they they were going after loose balls, and uh, I mean, the turnovers were down. Uh, the fouling was down. There's some steps that they took in the right direction. Well, what what is your thoughts on the Bearcats' latest loss to the Golden Hurricane? I would agree. I think they looked uh, the most in sync that game. I feel like uh, the Tennessee game, I mean, was that might have been their best effort so far going down the wire with, you know, one of the best teams in the country. I'm, I'm not sure what Tennessee's moved up to at this point in the standings, but in terms of the offense and, and how smoothly it seemed to be running, I'd say that was, that was the best performance so far. Um, Brandon seemed like he was using the smaller lineup a bit more that game, which I kind of like. So, you know, he's definitely been trying some stuff out early in the season and hopefully judging by the last game, finding some things that are working. Right. So, I mean, like, uh, like you, you sent uh, our our group uh, chat uh, of you, Max, Mike, and myself, uh, you sort of went on on a rant uh, that, or a deep dive into into the numbers for the UC basketball team, uh, which I had not looked into, which was surprising uh, on on some pieces. But when you, I mean, I feels like the biggest problem is just right now, and has been for the season is putting the ball in the bucket. Like Tulsa again, like the Tulsa game they shot thirty four percent. And six for 19, 31% from three from uh, th- the three point range. So if you're shooting low 30s, you're not really setting yourself up for success. No, you're definitely not going to win many basketball games shooting low 30s. And I think that's one of the big weaknesses for the team. The main thing that really limits the ceiling for what this team can do is they've got a lot of slashers, you know, Keith Williams. That's his whole game is going to the basket. And Mike Adams Woods likes to go to the basket. And then you got Vote who likes to hang out in the lane and try to try to score in the in the you know, in the key. And you just don't have a lot of people to shoot from the outside. No one really to keep the defense honest. We're uh, pretty easy to guard at this point. And so, you know, you you would like to see him shoot better, but is it surprising that they're struggling at this point? No, I don't I don't think so. But yeah, not not the best recipe for success. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in, in terms of shooters, <clears throat> I think Davenport has been our only guy uh, that. Uh, I mean, I mean, uh, Brandon drew up that play for him. Uh, what was that at the end of the Tennessee game uh, that he where he missed it? But the only guy that's been a noticeable shooter, or you have any confidence in, at least through my eyes, has been Davenport. I don't have a lot of confidence in anybody else right now. Yeah. And even that's been surprising. I think Davenport shot like what? 18% from three last year or something like that. Maybe yeah, like it might've might been 12. It might've been lower than 18. Yeah. So I mean, that's been a pleasant surprise, but he's definitely not somebody that a defense is, you know, going to respect, really going to feel like they have to have an eye on. I think if Davenport beats another team shooting threes, they're going to be, they're going to be okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, and all I mean, so <clears throat> I think, like I've mentioned this on on the podcast before, like in in recent history, and you can even go back as as far as you want. But when you think of guys like uh, Jaron or uh, Jacob Evans or uh, Sean Kilpatrick, they were the closers for their team, and they were, I mean, maybe not necessarily uh, uh, Evans as much, but they 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 wanted the ball in their hand to to either drive or, or to shoot. 
they were, you know, they weren't working off the ball a lot. And I think that having Keith, like the senior that we have to, uh, to sort of be our closer this year, he's not ball dominant. And I think that hurts. What do you think about that? Um, yeah, I think he's getting better at that aspect in terms of wanting the ball in his hands. And I think this is really the first year where he's had that opportunity, obviously with Cumberland now departed. But, you know, I also think the offense is set up a little bit different. Cronin's offense was always a little bit more suitable for somebody who wanted to dominate the ball. You're kind of allowed to you know, go freestyle a little bit if you wanted to at any, at any given point there, if you were one of the guards, or at least that's what it seemed like. I don't know if that's what Cronin was always trying to do, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you've seen in recent games, though, Keith trying to take over being a little more assertive with the basketball coming down the stretch. But he's also, like I said, a pretty one-dimensional guy. If he's, if he's not getting to the hole, he's not really knocking down a bunch of shots on a consistent basis, though, either, even though he did have a big three coming down the stretch against Tulsa. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's like uh, he he's getting the ball in his hands and trying to make a play later in the game, but it, it, it just doesn't feel like – I don't know if natural is the word, but it doesn't look natural at least. Uh, so I don't know if – does he do we need to go to that earlier uh, or is or is he like you know trying to do too much at, at the end of games? I wouldn't mind seeing him get involved earlier. I mean – we haven't been doing much, much productive stuff, you know, without him. We tend to, we tend to play our best basketball when he's, when he's dominating the ball. I'd like to see uh, Brandon maybe stagger him and vote a little bit more. I mean, we're not a very deep team, so the people who are playing are largely going to be playing at the same time. But I think Williams plays his best basketball when, when votes out of the game and he's got more, more room in the paint to work with. Yeah, for sure. So, so I don't know if you if you have uh, that that deep dive that you took into uh, into the stats and where like you see and their opponents have ranked. Uh, I have some of them here in front of me. Uh, but so, what would you say to to everyone uh, like our good friend Max, who is who is ready to burn Brandon at the stake and move on? I mean, I'd say, obviously, I still think you got to give him time. I think you know, this COVID situation happened for him at probably the worst possible moment, losing the star player from last year's team and trying to put a team together really from scratch almost and doing it without, without any exhibition games, without limited practice. And then we hop right into the season. We play some of the best defensive teams in the country right out of the gates it's always going to be tougher to to figure out how to work on offense which with a bunch of people you've never played basketball with before than it than it's going to be to play defense as a as a system and so yeah i think it's kind of been um a perfect storm in terms of the situation going into the year and then our schedule that we've played coming out the gates um you kind of kind of had to see the offense struggles coming a little bit. Yeah, and, and I think that stood out for some more than others. I mean, I mean, I think Vote has definitely struggled uh, even from where he left off last year and definitely since the you know the beginning of the season last year. Uh, and then you saw um, Ivanowskis. I, I just – I didn't trust him shooting the ball, and he was a walking turnover. Uh, and – you know the other new guy that that gets a lot of attention is uh, DeJulius, and I think he's not lived up to to some of the hype that that people or he didn't live up to the expectations that people gave him either. Yeah, DeJulius is one of those guys who's you know he's kind of the same piece to the puzzle as a few different people are on our team. You know, I think he's very similar to Mike Adams Woods. And that you know, he's good on defense. He prefers to drive, it seems. He's not afraid to shoot, but the jump shot hasn't been going. And based on his previous numbers, it's not really ever going to go for him on a consistent basis. And you know, Saunders Jr. kind of seems like he's out of that mold as well. That's 
kind of been the problem. It feels like there's just a lot of the same pieces on this team and you just need a few, a few more ones to really make the whole thing fit together. You know, a, a shooter on the outside and then another big that can run the floor and is preferably more physical than do or even Eason is at this point. I think those are the two things we're really missing. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely with, with a big physical preference or you know presence down low. Uh, vote isn't it? And I mean, Mamadou is is tall and or, and lanky and has you know long arms. Uh, and <clears throat> Eason maybe the longest arms I've seen. It's just freakishly long. But you're right. There, there's none of them that's that's moving people out of the paint. Uh, I don't know their their names, but it looked like Tulsa. I mean, they had a couple of dudes that, you know, just moving people around down there that uh, that UC is definitely lacking right now. Yeah, we don't we don't have much strength on the inside. That's for sure. That was kind of a a trademark of all the past UC teams. That this one is is definitely lacking. Yeah, for sure. Like, there's no, there is no uh, Eric Hicks, Yancey Gates type of physique on the team uh, at all. No, um, no. And yeah. um, I mean, I think that's more Brandon's style. To be fair, I, I mean, I don't really didn't really watch too much of his NKU days, but it seems like with his offensive system, he's going to want to space the floor more. But at the same time, I'm sure he would he would like to have somebody that can at least hold their own with an opposing team's big guy. And we don't we do not have that right now. No. So, I mean, you know, like I said, the, the Tulsa game was encouraging. Uh, you know, we, we out rebounded them 35 to 30 uh, free throws. They only shot 19 to our 27. Uh, and uh, the big one here that's that's been a huge problem early in the season is turnovers. Turnovers, Tulsa 13, Cincinnati 9. So, I, I you know, I was not uh, very high on the team going into the Tulsa game. Uh, I didn't I didn't know it was going to be – I wouldn't have guessed it wouldn't have been that close, uh, you know, 70 to 66. But I thought the Bearcats went in the right direction uh, in this game and gave me some, uh, some newfound hope for what's hopefully an end to this losing streak – my guess will be on Sunday. Yeah, I think they're moving in the right direction. Um, it would have been nice to to get a win against Tulsa. At this point, I feel like they kind of just got to get off the schneid. Um, you know, winning's a habit, or as my boy Jarvis Landry would say, it's contagious. And they've been losing close ones down the stretch. And I feel like if they could have won, you know, one or two of those, we'd be having a whole different conversation than we are right now. But uh, yeah, I think, I think the turnaround's coming sooner rather than later. Yeah. I mean, I mean, so let, let me, that while I have this on, on the top of my, on top of my head here. So uh, I mean, I, you know, the, I've tweeted out, uh, you know, the, the historic losses, you know, uh, South, I was it central Florida. Uh, they hadn't beat us at home. Uh, I forget since when, and Tulsa, well, no, UCF was home or was in Orlando, so I don't, I don't know what other game it was. But Tulsa definitely hadn't won in Cincinnati since uh, Lyndon B. Johnson was president. And I, I, I saw, I actually heard this on another podcast uh, yesterday, is that uh, their opinion was that we should not count these home losses as home losses. Or, which I would have to say I completely disagree with. What do you think? I mean, I know where they're going. It's not you don't have the environment there, but you know, at the same time, how into the game is the crowd going to be when you're off to this start? Anyways, I'm not sure how intimidating the home court advantage would be for a for a two and six or at the time two and five Bearcat team. Anyway, but. Right. I mean, you got to count it. Tulsa still had to travel, still had to play in a different gym. You know, I'm sure, you know, having having the rest there 
on your home court, you know, you still have some advantage in terms of some fans getting on them. I'm sure Easton's mom was letting him hear about it. You know, I'm she was there. But... On the podcast. I'm trying. I want. I want her to to come on here. She said. She said she was going to listen to it and think about it. So I'm going to have to check back in with her. I think that'd be a very entertaining show. Yes, she definitely has uh, all the enthusiasm that you could ask for out of a out of a fan. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's a home. It's a home loss. It it's a weird. It's a weird year for everybody. Everyone's facing the same stuff. I mean, their home loss is not great, losing to Tulsa at home. But at the same time, you know, Tulsa's Tulsa's been building for a little bit, and we're kind of just kind of just starting to turn around here. Right. I mean, they they won part of the conference last year, uh, the regular season. Uh, and I mean, you like like we've talked about before. Like the reason I mean, I would not be a fan of supporting the idea that these aren't home losses is that we've dropped some pretty embarrassing games at home, you know, in our lifetime, uh, you know, since we've been in college, uh, you know, Colgate last year, that's not a game that you lose at home. Uh, uh, what, what's the other school? Um, we lost to Presbyterian. That's it. Yeah. Presbyterian. That was a home game. And um, I was Mar- at both of them. Those are great times. Yeah. And Marshall. Yes. Uh, yeah. You and I were at the the Colgate game together, and we just we just kind of looked at each other, like all of the all of us that were there, and was like, "What the fuck just happened?" Yeah, it was de- definitely deja vu of the Presbyterian game. Yeah. So I mean, it's a very surreal experience. Which all which there were fans in the stands for. Uh, so. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't buy the no fans in the stands. Don't count them as uh, as home losses, uh, but <clears throat> that's just, that's just what that's my opinion. Uh, so we have SMU, uh, the Ponies, in Moody Coliseum uh, Thursday at seven on ESPNU. Right now, the uh, right now they're six and one. Do the do, does the losing streak continue on uh, on Thursday or do we snap it? Well, obviously, I'm an optimist, so I'm saying we snap it. I mean, SMU's good. They're similar style team to kind of what we've played this whole year in terms of they're a very good defensive team, but they're also, you know, just as efficient on offense. So it's definitely going to be a challenge. But like you said, I think we've been trending up. You know, I think it's only a matter of time. And at one of these – one of these days, the the breaks are going to go our way coming down the stretch. I mean, you can look back at the last few games, and I feel like you can pinpoint moments where you know, something didn't go our way, and that was the turning point. Hopefully, hopefully the turning point goes our way on Thursday, and I'm going to say it does. I'll take the Bearcats. All right, I like, I like your optimism. I I think I think the the losing streak will continue one more more game. Uh, SMU is a pretty tough team right now. I think we'll surprise some people though on, on Sunday and we beat Wichita. That's kind of been a tradition, uh, ever since they joined the conference. Uh, and you know, if, if we can uh, sneak one out, uh, it's uh, the Coke Arena or whatever it is. And then we have a kind of a pretty favorable schedule for a little while after that. We have East Carolina, Tulane, and then at Temple before we have to f- go to Houston. So if we can get things rolling in time here, we could be on a little bit of a, a winning streak maybe before we have to take on uh, the conference favorites, Houston. Yeah, that would be that'd be nice. Get us back closer to 500 because I assured everybody going into the year that we would be at least 500. So it would be nice to get back <laughs> get back close to that going into Houston because that's definitely going to be a tough one. They're, they're one of the elite teams in the country this year. That's for sure so yeah yeah, hopefully they can get some momentum going because i mean they've they've proven they can play good teams tough so you know i don't i mean i'm sure there's some teams out there that we absolutely could not beat even on our best day but i don't know if houston's quite on that level i mean right obviously i think like the gonzagas of the world are going to handle us no matter what we do but i think we got a chance against 
anybody in in the American this year. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. Uh, and hopefully this upswing continues. Uh, so <clears throat> I want to I do want to run down some of this. I've talked I've mentioned it already a couple times here. Some of the the deeper dive things that you've you've talked about and get your thoughts on, on some of the things that you uh, that you sent to me and highlighted. Uh, so two and six is is bad. It looks bad. Uh, but only one of those games have been a loss in double digits. Uh, so, I mean, that's, again, trying to be positive here. That's that's not bad. Uh, the three conference losses, uh, that's we've lost those by a total of 12 points. You know, the biggest one, uh, I believe, was five points to um, not Tulsa, but UCF, actually. Uh, so... In efficiency, we're ranked 82. We're still top 100 there. The net rankings aren't so uh, friendly to us. Uh, but the worst defensive team that we've lost to has been Xavier, who's 87th and then 26th on offense. Uh, and then you said on uh, other uh, defense uh, efficiency ranks from our losses, uh, you know, we've ranked to the first, the 38th, the 57th, the 64th, and the 74th team. So it's not like we are going up against, you know, uh, the Campbell Camels or, or whoever it is that we schedule, you know, to start the season off. All the teams that we've lost to so far are either pretty good at defense or really good at defense. Yeah, Tennessee is the best team in the country in terms of defensive efficiency as of now. Right. That can change. Yeah, so uh, – and then – Let's see here. No, you know, you said we beat Furman. Uh, they were they were ranked above us actually, seventy uh, sixth, and has and what is that offensive efficiency and then defensive efficiency? They're one twenty seventh. So yeah, no, seventy six was what they were at overall. Okay, Offensively, overall. they're like, I think fiftieth something. But yeah, that's that was kind of my point is that if you're if you're a team that hasn't played much much basketball together you got a better chance of of pulling off an upset against the team that is lacking on the defensive end even if they're a little bit better offensively just because it's it's harder to manufacture baskets i feel like with uh with a new roster than it is to stop another team from from getting buckets well yeah i mean that's that's a good way to look at it so if if you if you in the next uh, you know six games or, or four games, uh, let's say let's say out of the next six games, if the Bearcats can win five of them, what do you think? Uh, what what would be that cause? What what was the biggest turnaround uh, if they can go on a little bit of a a winning streak here? Yeah, more time together on offense. Um, more time in Brandon's system all that stuff, but also just getting some wins. Uh, like I said, I've, I really believe winning is, is a habit. Once you see some wins, some games start going your way, you know, you kind of, you get the monkey off your back or, you know, whatever you want to say, you start believing a little bit more and things just get a little bit easier when you've got a little bit more confidence. Uh, I mean, I know you've played basketball. I'm sure you've, you've experienced that type of thing where it just seems like if you can just get one game to go your way, you could, you can start piling some wins. That's how I felt and about coaching have, last year. If we could just win one game, <laughs> you know, get these kids some confidence. So, so yeah, I, exactly. I know exactly what you're talking about. All right. But so, yeah, overall though, I think it's just more time and brain system. A lot of these guys, they either, haven't played together or they're playing a lot different different roles i mean i haven't looked at the advanced statistics yet but i'm sure like keith williams usage is way up this year he's playing a much different role than he's used to i'm sure votes usage is way up you know guys like davenport coming in being relied on to actually score you know big big step up from what he was doing last year and then you've, of course, got the guys who just have never played with with the team before, the the David DeJuliuses, and then the freshmen. So, all right. So, yeah. 
let me let me change gears here on you for a second and uh, and ask you a couple of questions. So, uh, what well, eight games in here? What has been? I'm going to ask you the positive and the negative of this. So, positively, what's been the biggest surprise uh, for this Bearcats team? Uh, we talked about a little little bit already, but I think it's Davenport's contributions on offense. He looked abysmal last year shooting the basketball. He was. He was the hustle and, you know, defensive guy, and he's been relied upon to score. And for the most part, he's come through for us. So that's that's probably been the biggest positive. That and Easton looks as good as advertised. I mean, he's struggling a little bit around the basket finishing, but you can definitely see the star potential there. He can run the floor. He can shoot a little bit. He's got, he's got a good touch on the jumper, it seems like. Blocking shots. Uh, he's... Seems like he has all the tools to be next in line in terms of great UC big men. See, that was going to be that would be my positive uh, for the season so far. I, I agree with everything you say there about Eason. Uh, I think he's already fun to watch. You know, he sometimes he puts together those uh, those series where he's stripping the ball or, or blocking a shot and running the floor uh, and in finishing on the other end. So I I think he's exciting and uh, I definitely agree he's going to be. Uh, he's setting himself up nicely to uh, to uh, develop and, and get better each year, so I'm excited to see that. Uh, so, what's the uh, other? So, what's the flip side of that? Give me your one negative that that's not the two and six record. Obviously, that's negative and not what either one of us expected, really. But so, other than the record, what's what's your negative uh, surprise so far? Uh, you know, other than just the overall offensive struggle so far, um, the transfers coming in have definitely been a disappointment. I mean, Rap Ivanowskis is already is already out. He's uh, I guess withdrawn because of whatever concerns. I'm not sure if he he opted out because of COVID or if he just didn't think it was a good fit for him anymore. But you know, and then DeJulius also he's shown some flashes here and there he seems like he's a decent floor general but just you know we were i was hoping for for more out of him than that so i would say those those transfers coming in kind of hoping that they could help the team transition this year and has not worked out to say the least yeah i uh the the transfers for sure my other one might be uh Mamadou, I know uh, I, you or, or someone has declared me a Mamadou hater. I'm not big fan of the kid, uh, but sometimes it just looks like he's a chicken with his head cut off on the floor. Uh, and I th- thought at the end of the season that had went away and he, he'd grown up a little bit and got more comfortable. But early in the season, it looked like, looked like he went back to uh, to running around lost. Uh, so hopefully with, you know, he, he opted out and opted in. Uh, so hopefully with his return here, it's, it's less, uh, less of that and more of the, the guy running the top of the one, three, one and, and knocking down threes. That's the moment I want to see. Yeah. He's just got to play more assertive. I think I'd like to see him play more. He gives a different look than vote. Who's very interior oriented. Mamadou can actually move around the court. So I would like to see him out there more and hopefully play a more assertive. Maybe he just needs to knock down a three or two like last year. And yeah. Get it I mean, going again. I, do you think like, he's like one of those guys that like, maybe he like really thrived with the crowd there because uh, I mean, any game that I was at or watched on TV and it was a home crowd and he knocked down a three, like everyone on campus knew it because they blew the lid off of the place. You know, is it, is is he is he like the type of player that's that's missing that? You know, I, I don't know, but maybe that's contributing. That's possible. I mean, making shots always boosts the confidence, but making them in front of an arena full of people that are gonna go wild every time you do it, that that adds a little something to it, I'm sure. So you now maybe he could be missing that, but I'm sure he'll start looking better here as as the year goes on and everybody gets more comfortable together. Okay. Well yeah. Uh 
<clears throat> I, I hope so. So your your prediction, as you said, uh, we'll, we'll end the streak on Thursday. Uh, my prediction is is uh, a game later on Sunday, uh, but we will see. Uh, any other thoughts you want to you want to share on the basketball team or the program so far? Because if not, I got a, I got a couple of beer questions uh, to ask you. Extra thoughts on the on the program this year? Um, yeah. No, I think we've pretty much covered it. I mean, maybe I like I'd like to see Zach Harvey get some more run, get him more involved, mm-hmm. uh, get the ball in his hands more. He's the biggest recruit we've had probably since I think since Lance, right? In terms of where he was ranked nationwide coming out. Yeah, so, I, so. I mean, it was like. Like he was, wasn't he at one time like committed to to Kentucky or Kansas? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Then he got in a little bit of trouble. We don't need to get into that, but right. yeah, he was in terms of stars. I feel like a national rank. Yes, he was one of the biggest recruits we've gotten in years. You'd like to see him develop more. That's another thing I'll be looking forward to in the future here. Yeah, he uh, he had a big three towards the end of the Tulsa game. I feel was it the Tulsa game or, or was it the Central Florida game, uh, or maybe both? Yeah, I, it was just last, It was it was definitely he definitely had a big bucket against Tulsa coming down the stretch. He hit one of his rainbow threes that he that he throws up. Yeah, I, you know for for Harvey, I feel I don't know if it's like like he's doing this. You know, sometimes you got to take a role that you know to do. You got to do whatever you got to do to get on the floor, but I feel as though they're they're using him as like a like the go to defender, which I don't. I mean, I don't know if he is that. I, I think he's he's more probably more of a scorer or or more of you know uh, more natural on on the offensive side of things. Uh, but I, I feel as though they, they usually try to put him on the on the uh, on the other team's best player. Yeah. Because was it uh, was it South Florida when we played him? They had the I don't know if he still is, but he was the conference like leading scorer. He was he was averaging like twenty a game or something at the time. Or, or who am I thinking of? Oh, yeah, that was that's South Florida. Um, yeah. Oh man, I'm forgetting the guy's name. He's but the announcers were really hammered at home. I'm surprised I've forgotten. They were talking him up like. Was it like Etna or or something like that? Yetna? I'm not sure. I will. I'll find it real quick because as soon as I see it, I'll remember. But I hadn't really heard of that guy much before. I don't think he played a big role really until this year. But yeah, Harvey was definitely on him a decent amount. Yeah, it was. Let's see. The starters for South Florida: Collins, Brown, Murphy, Yetna, and Durr. You had uh, Yetna with sixteen that game, Durr with fourteen, Collins with eleven. It might have been Collins. Now that I think about it, David Collins. Ah. Uh. No, he averaged 13 last season. I remember going in, they were, t- yet yeah, no, was on their star watch. Maybe we're thinking of the wrong game. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe that doesn't make it for good. Yeah, I think but. I agree with you that I think Harvey is kind of getting taken out of what he would naturally like to do. If a team was built around him, even on the offensive end, I feel like he's kind of been used as a shooter. And he seems like the rest of our guards to be more of a slasher, but we already have so many people doing that. You mainly see him throwing up those threes. Right. And, uh, so I don't know. I, I try to look up that guy's name. I can't, uh, I can't think it's, of it. Uh, it was UCF. It's Brandon Mahan. Mahan. He went for 25 yeah. on us. That was yeah. who it was. Yeah, I was I was thinking the wrong Florida team. They're easy to get confused. One one letter off, uh, Mahan. That's it. Yeah. So Harvey was was when he was in the game, he was guarding Mahan a lot. Yeah, and I I think he's probably our most athletic guard 
I mean, Williams, obviously, but you don't want the guy who's going to be your go-to man guarding the other team's best player normally. Other than him, Harvey's Harvey's got to be the most athletic wing player we've got. Yeah, for sure. And you, as I was looking something up here, uh, I clicked on Twitter, and this is like as of like 20 minutes ago. Uh, Caleb Mills, who I think was the American – uh, preseason conference player of the year. Uh, he is entering the transfer portal. I hadn't seen that yet. Uh, yeah, that, that's as of like 15 minutes ago, maybe. Uh, so that's that's interesting American basketball news. Yeah, just any steps away for personal reasons. That's yeah, that's a. That's a weird, weird development there. You normally don't see too many people walking away from one of the best teams in the country. And Sampson always seems like a player's coach for the most part. So, yeah, I mean, making sure they all get doing. paid well. I don't know what I mean. Wasn't uh, what's the uh, the quarterback that Houston had that was supposed to lead him to the promised land and then transferred to uh, Miami? Uh, De'Ara King, right, or something like that. It's kind of a, a similar situation there between Caleb Mills and and, and De'Ara King. What's going on at Houston? Who knows? I mean, football, that makes a little bit more sense because you're not going to win a national championship at at Houston. So, I mean, I could – a little easier to leave that situation, you would think. The basketball team, they've been – They've kind of flown under the radar in terms of just how good they've been in the last, what, three to four years, I guess, under Samson now. Yeah, they're and he tends to win everywhere until he gets busted for cheating, but <laughs> they've been playing good basketball. Uh, a, 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 another account shared this. So Houston, so since the birth of the American Athletic Conference, uh, total – this is just conference wins, nothing out of conference – Cincinnati has 113, or I'm sorry, 133. Cincy has 133, and Houston also has 133. Uh, the only other teams over 100 would be uh, SMU with 111 and Memphis with 107. Uh, so, I mean, Houston, I mean, their winning percentage is just above UC's at 76 and a half. So, yeah, it's not like they're uh, – they're not making the tournament or anything down there. It's weird. Yeah. You, know, you never you never know what's going on with those types of situations. But yeah, I mean they've they've got a they're good again this year, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think uh looking at the standings here, with everything that went on with uh, Wichita State over the summer and, and their firing of uh, Greg Marshall, I didn't see them having anywhere near the success that they've had so far this season. They're 6-2 uh, and two, and 2-0 two and oh in the conference. Yeah, they've they've turned it around pretty good. Well, not really turned it around because they've always been good, but they've been, they've been able to avoid the down year so far. It seems like, I mean, what, they lost uh, Oklahoma State by a few points. I yeah. feel like I saw earlier. Yep. And – uh, I don't know. Missouri's the only other Missouri. Yeah. Interesting. They play Houston yeah. tomorrow at eight. Uh, might have to tune into that game. That sh- that might be a good one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Marshall's always got a good program down there. I haven't watched them at all this year. I don't really know who they've got that's been producing for them, but. It's not no. surprising. No, they, like they're one of those teams you just anticipate being good every year now. Yeah. Tyson uh NTN averaging 17 points for the Shockers. Uh so that'll be an, that'll be a fun game on on uh Tuesday or Sunday. So Nodal, uh one uh, just uh, one uh two questions here for you as as we uh wrap this up. Uh Beer related questions. I know that you're you're probably drinking uh, a Miller Light right now. Is it? Am I right on that assumption? Yes. 
Yes, awesome, very nice. But you you do uh, venture into the the craft side of things quite a bit. Uh, what have you uh, drank lately that stood out or has been pretty good that uh, I should check out? Oh man, what have I had recently? Um, had some Topland Goliath recently, but you're obviously well aware of what they're doing in terms of IPAs there. Um, mm -hmm. Had more of the Fibonacci cap spears. Ooh. Which I forget if you said you were um, big on that style, but yeah, if you like a little Carolina Reaper in your beer, the caps are the way to go. You got to try Fibonacci's. I just had the Toll House stout with, um, with the caps, but I've also had their uh, IPA. They're Earth Daisy with the Cavs, which also is was pretty solid. They put the they put the Carolina Reaper in the the Earth Daisy. Yeah, I have not had that at all. I, like I I, I said, I, I was I wasn't even aware. I thought like Fib had uh, like closed up shop until you know COVID was like a little more on the downswing. Uh, but you said that they were doing like carry out and like drive through stuff. Uh, I've had the the caps stout, but I didn't know that they were doing it in the IPA as well. So I'm definitely going to have to check that out. Yeah, they make some interesting stuff. That's that's for sure. Yeah, now now that I live a little closer, I definitely got to go. I put in the order here soon. Uh, <clears throat> so all right, so Fibonacci, I'll check that out. Last question here for you, good sir. Uh, you don't have to get uh, too uh, detailed into this because I want to do. Uh, a whole show uh, at, uh, about this topic, you know, bring some uh, some people together, uh, do a little like bottle share type of thing, and then and then share our stories. Uh, but my question is, and, and the topic of the show that I want to do is, uh, think of any like concerts or sporting events that you've been to. What is the uh, most creative way that you snuck alcohol into a venue? Me, I'm not a big sneak alcohol in guy, mainly just because you know, I feel like the venue's got to make money and there's a reason why they price alcohol uh, the way they do because it's their, it's their money maker. Um, obviously in college, yeah, yeah. our uh, fraternity brother, R. Kelly, used to always bring in his electric lemonade and um, camelbacks to football games. <laughs> which was a pretty reliable way of sneaking it in. Of course, you can sneak in alcohol and nip it any way you want to, but that and you also got plenty of it there for you in terms of, you know, not just not just trying to sneak in little flasks or anything like that. You know, you got a whole camelback of, of Everclear. You're going to be set for the game. Um, <laughs> uh, some of the – I like the – worst ways better though seeing somebody get busted for sneaking in alcohol is always always better than seeing success stories okay and we'll, we'll so I'd say my favorite my favorite there would definitely be old hot who throws the strategy of being discreet out the window and likes to try to walk into bars with as many heinekens stuffed <laughs> into his jacket as he can possibly fit and we were at Tin Roof one time for a Browns Bengals game, and it was like Gaspo, myself, um, Gaspo's uncles were there as well. And of course, Gaspo knows the bartender. So we're up there talking to the bartender, getting drinks whenever we want. Nicole tries to come walking in to join us because he was supposed to have been going to the game, and somehow there was some mix up with tickets at the end. Was told he couldn't go to the game, so he's. Like, screw it. I'm coming to meet you guys. Comes trying to walk into the bar. Jacket full of Heineken's. I don't believe Tinroof served Heineken. So he gets into the bar, pulls a <laughs> Heineken out of his jacket. And the bartender is like, you can't have that in here. You snuck it in here. You know, you got to go. And it you know, comes out that he knows Gaspo and I and Gaspo's friends with the bartender. So they let him stay. Didn't matter because he got thrown out like five minutes later for unintentionally tripping a waitress so <laughs> oh, that's uh, some like days you're just not meant to win 
but yeah. yeah, it's always it's always more fun seeing people get called out for drunkenly trying something that's just not a well thought out strategy. Well, when we when we do the show with this topic, we'll uh, we'll ex- expand it in- into that as well and see what stories we can come up with. Uh, <laughs> I, I know between our group of friends, we have some good ones. Uh, I, just from the failures alone, I can think of a couple off the top of my head. Uh, so definitely going to have to uh, to pocket that uh, for an upcoming episode for sure. Yeah, failures make better stories. Seeing your friends get kicked out of bars, that's always the story. For sure. And For sure. we've had plenty of friends get kicked out of bars, so I'm sure there'll be plenty of plenty of ammo for that. <laughs> All right, Noto, appreciate you jumping on here with me uh, and talking Bearcats hoops. Uh, we definitely uh, will do this again uh, as we as the season moves forward and. Uh, any uh, any of the listeners here can can definitely look forward to uh, to hearing from uh, Nodal or or Brian or whatever I refer to you uh, during the podcast. We will definitely hear from from him uh, in the near future. So, Nodal, thank you, sir, and uh, good luck. I'm sure I'll talk to you tomorrow. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Go Bearcats! Absolutely. Thank you, sir. I want to thank my my guest and my very good friend, Brian Canodal, for jumping on here with me today. Uh, thanks for tuning in uh, to episode 13, Sour Peaches. Uh, be sure to do the social media thing. And uh, as always, cheers and go Bearcats.